to the book of Joel. Joel chapter number one, we're continuing in our study together. Joel chapter number one. Remember, we've been going through particularly 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So as you make your way to Joel, you might turn there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, we will uh, be continuing our study on um, uh, the day of the Lord, which is at hand. In Joel chapter 1 and verse number 15, we've looked at those first uh, few verses of both chapters. In verse 15, the word of God tells us, alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. And then in verse 1 of chapter 2, the Bible tells us to sound the alarm. You mark, you mark your Bible, I would mark that phrase if you haven't already. We're sounding the alarm, why? For the day of the Lord uh, cometh, for it is nigh at hand. And here we get Joel, who's prophetic in his writings, and we're getting a glimpse of the very coming of Christ. And we see the parallel passage of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and, and the, uh, uh, the, the message which God has for us within these things. Um, just before we dive into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let's have a word of prayer and uh, we will begin. Our Heavenly Gracious Father, Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us as we look into your word. Uh, may we keep the emphasis upon you. Lord, we ask that you would, uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, may you have complete reign. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to our, us directly in what areas that you would have for us to move forward on, to be challenged upon. And uh, Lord, we, we understand that the day of the Lord is at hand. And that yet that should change the very way that we live our lives. So Lord, bless us now, we pray, in our time here together and the message as it is given. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I did want to mention to you, as I did in earlier in announcements, we do have our ladies meeting this Thursday. And uh, so ladies, if you are planning to be out for that, do, do make note that their Thursday is the ladies meeting coming up here this week. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and uh, we looked at verse number 2 where the word of God tells us, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord is at hand. Remember that word perfectly uh, means diligently. It has the idea of knowing with, with of uh, understanding that no one has to tell us that the day of the Lord is at hand. We know without any doubt. We know without any forewarning. We know that God himself is, be, is, is coming. He is returning. And so the, the word of God tells us that uh, the day of the Lord uh, comes as a thief in the night. We don't know the exact hour, but we know that he's coming. We don't know the exact time, but we know that he's coming. And... Um, Verse number five, the Bible says, ye all are the children of light. Uh, the word of God tells us we're to be uh, examples of Christ in the very light in which we're living. You remember, we, I'm reviewing with you here. You remember we've talked about the children of light as a light makes a difference in the dark world. So we as Christians are to be making that difference, knowing that the day of the Lord is at hand. In uh, verse number six, the word of God says, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. We're not sleeping as the world. We're not letting ourselves be uh, dead unto Christ, but alive unto Christ. We're not letting ourselves be asleep spiritually, but awake spiritually. And the idea of soberness is getting serious for the things of God. God says, uh, or Paul says within this passage, and God speaking through him tells us that we have every reason to be living for God and to be serious for the things of God because we know that the day of the Lord is at hand. I was just talking with someone earlier today, and uh, we were talking about the various things going on within the world that we're seeing and, and all of the 
um, uh, agenda that's behind some of the very things that we see within the media and all that sort of a thing. And uh, uh, they were saying in the end how that, well, this should come as a surprise to us. That's exactly what Paul is telling us in this passage. Uh, You know perfectly the day of the Lord is at hand. This should not come as a surprise to you. Uh, You know without anyone having to tell you. And um, so the Bible tells us to be sober in faith uh, and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. We're uh, letting that faith and love, the two most important parts of the armor of God, be applied to our very lives, that our faith in Christ is trusting him day by day, that the helmet of salvation is causing our minds to be so upon the very salvation that God has given to us. And we see in, in the, our, our now in knowing all of these things and getting serious about it, he now begins to get specific about it, what exactly is it that we are to be doing. In verse 11, the word of God says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together. Edify one another, even as also ye do. We're comforting each other in Christ. We're edifying, that is, we're coming alongside with open arms. We're encouraging others in Christ. Those who we know have a need. And the Bible explains further within our relationships, as we discussed a few weeks ago. Verse 12, we beseech you, brethren, to know them. The Bible then continues in verse 13, to esteem them. And at the end of verse 13, to be at peace with them, who, verse 12 tells us, were to know them, esteem them, and be at peace with them, who are, number one, they labor among you, verse 12, they're over you, and admonish you in the Lord. Those in our relationships, those who are above us, those who are working together with us, our fellow Christians, those who are not Christians, we're, uh, we're seeking to know them, to have a relationship with them. We're esteeming them. That is to say, we're, we're setting them with high regard, with honor. We're at peace with them. There's no contention or frustration with us. As we would think in the, in the pastor and church member relationship, there should not be a frustration between us. We're keeping it clear. As we think in a parent and a child relationship, there should be no frustration between them. We're keeping a relationship that is clear. And so we consider in every relationship we have, no matter who it is, that we're being at peace, the Bible says. And the Word of God continues along these lines in verse 14. And again, I'm reviewing with you. Verse 14 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, to warn them that are unruly, those who get away from the Lord. Warn them. Comfort the feeble-minded. Those who are weak, maybe spiritually. Those who are weak, maybe physically. You're comforting them. You know that God has given you strength. And so that's why the Word of God continues. Comfort the feeble-minded and support the weak. Those who you know, whether it be of mind or whether it be of body, you're comforting them. You're, You're supporting them. You're helping to strengthen them. In the end of verse 14, and so connection of verse 13, and be patient toward all men. Patience and peace are so connected to one another. We're at peace with all those who, who are among us, who labor with us, uh, who are over us, those who rebuke us and or admonish us. Uh, the Bible tells us uh, that we are to be patient towards all men. In other words, we're being at peace with them. And that's why he says once again and continuing in verse 15, see that none render evil for evil unto any man. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Towards all people, in every relationship, we're seeking to have a transparency. There is nothing between. Remember, as we've said before, a clear conscience with God and a clear conscience with man. You cannot truly be right with God if you're not right with man. You cannot truly be right with man if you're not right with God. It goes both ways. And so, if there is a known area in our relationships, that should be something which we're making right. First with God, and then secondly with man. And so there's that two sides of the coin. Then we talked about uh, our response and how that we 
uh, in our attitude and, and what we do as a Christian. The Bible says rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And we emphasized upon these things last week. And every part of our spirit, we're rejoicing. In our prayer life, we're praying without ceasing. Remember that word ceasing means constant in prayer. It's impossible to be just continually down on our knees and praying all the time as we live life. But we're being constant in prayer, the Bible tells us. Verse 18, in everything, give thanks. It's when we learn to rejoice evermore and pray constantly that we won't be able to help but then give God thanks for all that he's doing within our life. We're looking at verse 19 this evening and continuing with these knowing diligently that the day of the Lord is at hand. What then should we be doing while our relationships are right and our response towards God and rejoicing in prayer and giving thanks? But then verse 19, we understand and see these four words which have so much power and meaning within them. The Bible tells us quench not the spirit. That word quench has the idea of pouring water on a fire and extinguishing it. In fact, if you look in Mark chapter 9, just to help you understand that word fire, Mark chapter 9 verse 48 uses the same word fire as in this passage to describe hell itself. We're speaking of a, a burning type, an eternal type of fire. The Bible tells us it is a fire uh, that will quench, it will put out the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, 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 this this um, quenching that we're speaking of, this fire which we're speaking of, uh, is, is what should be maintaining within our life. You see, the fire comes from the Holy Spirit. Amen? The fire comes from the Holy Spirit within our life. And when we quench that eternal fire, that, uh, that undying fire within our life, we're keeping God from doing a powerful work within our life. And so I've entitled this message this evening, Keeping the Fire Going. Keeping the Fire Going. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 2, we're going to be talking about the working of the Holy Spirit tonight. Acts chapter 2, we'll begin looking in verse number 1. Acts chapter 2, uh, we see uh, the first instance of the, um, the apostles themselves where the Holy Spirit is, uh, comes upon them. And we know this day to be the day of Pentecost. Verse 1 of Acts chapter 2, the Word of God says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord. We're in verse 1, and in one place. Verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, that filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire. Uh, the, the Bible tells us, that word cloven, it means many tongues, like as fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I want, you to, I want to remind you that the, the working and power of the Holy Spirit today is different than it was in the New Testament. Uh, we do not believe uh, here at Community Bible Church in the the gift of tongues being prevalent today, if you read in the book of First and Second Corinthians, the Bible makes it very clear that those things have passed, that the work of the Holy Spirit now does not allow those things. The only purpose for tongues in the New Testament was for the purpose of getting the gospel and helping the gospel to be understood by others. It was for the purpose of, of, uh, of others who did not speak in that same language to understand what God was trying to give to them within the message. That was before we have what we have now today, the Bible. 
And so tongues were then necessary that people would understand what God's message was for them. And as the prophets and as the apostles would come up and speak, and they would speak in that prophecy of things that were futuristic or things that uh, were uh, th things that were simply messages of God and his judgment and the things to come, the Bible tells us that those things have now passed. I actually had somebody just this week uh, was asking me, I was sharing with them about our church, and they were very impressed with our youth program. And I was telling them how that uh, we're working to have a youth uh, activity just about every other week and have at least two every single month. And she said, oh, wow, that's amazing. She said, now we go over to such and such church. And, and uh, you know, and as I was telling her about these things, she really was becoming impressed. And I thought very was. I extended the invitation for, even for her to come to church. She then asked, she said, uh, now, do you guys believe in tongues? And I thought, oh, yeah, that's definitely, uh, there's, she's, there's definitely a clear difference between uh, where we stand and what, she, what she believes in. And people still believe in the tongues uh, and this, the ability of tongues. And may I remind you, this is not the message of tonight, but uh, uh, just so uh, we can have an understanding, that tongues in the Bible were not at all what tongues are, are uh, laid out to be today. Amen? Uh, nowadays, if you know anything about uh, speaking in tongues, you might find in especially some of the Pentecostal movement of such, uh, there's a lot of jibber-jabber, and it's a claim that God has given to me a message. God does not work that way anymore. Amen? The Bible tells us in the New Testament that he does not. Uh, you say, well, God, God has spoken to me directly. Well, God does speak to us, but he doesn't speak to us uh, through other men, through tongues. God's made that very clear. God does not speak through dreams anymore. He speaks to us through his word. If God spoke to us through dreams and God would give us further messages, this would not be the whole word of God. Amen? This would not be the complete word of God. And so may we understand as we're studying this passage that tongues are no longer. Uh, this Holy Spirit, as we're looking tonight, quench not the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit is a fire, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2. It is a fire, tongues like as fire, that came down upon each of them. Uh, it is a fire which comes down from God into our lives. In other words, when you're living a Holy Spirit-driven life, there is a burning desire of the very leading of God within your life. Uh, the idea of abiding in Christ, it means you're dying to self, you're staying, you're living, you're dwelling in Christ. As you dwell in your home, you live in your home, you abide in your home, abiding in Christ is the same way. You're staying, you're living, you're dwelling in the Holy Spirit, and you're, you're trusting in his leading, in his guidance, and, and what he lays before you from day to day. Books and libraries have been written on, on the working and power of the Holy Spirit, uh, may I remind you that we don't know in every way that the Holy Spirit works, but we do know it's a supernatural working. Amen? Uh, we cannot fully describe uh, how the Holy Spirit works within our life, but we do know he works through our conscience. He places thoughts within our mind. He convicts. He lays things upon our heart, and he, he drives and brings the, the fire and the desire and the passion within us. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, the word of God tells us, Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God. This would be good for us to look at. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, that we stir up the gift. Just so you can see this verse, that, uh, that phrase, to stir up, it, it, it has the idea of causing to burn. Causing to burn. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, the word of God says, Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift, cause to burn the fire which is in thee by putting on my hands. I can remember 
uh, as, a, as a young boy, when we would have cook marshmallows over the fire, uh, Dad would have a fire, and especially this time of year when it starts getting a little bit colder, and, and uh, you, you always like to take a stick and poke into the fire. Sometimes if you stir it up enough, suddenly a flame would come gushing out. Another uh, of interest, you know, as a kid, you shouldn't be playing with fire, right? But we're in Illinois. Nobody's, nothing's out there. It's, it, it's, not, it's not really as bad as you think. And uh, when you're given this responsibility as a 13-year-old boy to burn the trash in the burn barrel outside, uh, you just get curious and playing with the fire, right? And you learn that the more you stir and poke and prod within that fire, suddenly some things are just catching flame that much more. The Bible tells us to stir up the gifts. The Holy Spirit is a gift within our life. And as we stir up the gift, the Bible's saying to cause to burn once again. In other words, we're keeping the fire going. We're keeping the fire going. And as Christian individuals, we're continually stirring. We're continually reviving. We're continually keeping the Holy Spirit uh, abreast in our, in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts. Um, the Holy Spirit is the one who places desires within our heart to walk more closely with him, to read and study his word, to serve others. And when the Bible tells us to uh, stir up the gift, he's saying, fuel the fire. Keep feeding the fire. Let the Holy Spirit within you Guide, lead, and direct you. Quench not the spirit. Don't let that fire as, as paralleled with hellfire itself, don't let that fire, that eternal fire within you, the Holy Spirit uh, who lives within your body, the temple of the Holy Ghost, don't let that fire go out. Don't let that fire go out. And so what I want to talk to you tonight about are some sins that we can commit against the Holy Spirit. How do we quench the Holy Spirit in our life? What exactly do we do that quenches the Holy Spirit, that causes that water to be poured upon that fire, that keeps us from uh, that fire burning and from being stirred up in our life? Turn with me to Acts chapter 5, if you would. We're going to be turning to some different passages. We're talking about sins committed against the Holy Spirit. Sins committed against the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5, and we see in this passage the um, story of Ananias and does anyone remember the other one? Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, Acts chapter 5, we're looking in verse number 1 together. The Word of God tells us, um, beginning in verse 1, but a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, and his wife also, being privy to it, and brought a certain part, laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said unto Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. Before we continue, here's our first point. Sins committed against the Holy Spirit. Number one, lying to the Holy Ghost. Lying to the Holy Spirit. Look at verse four. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, what is not, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? And thou hast not lied unto men, but unto who? God. Verse five. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost, and the young men 
came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. You say, uh, what exactly is this lying to the spirit? Understand Ananias and Sapphira were appearing to participate in an offering where they were giving an entire piece of land, when in reality, they were only giving a portion. They were lying to the Holy Spirit. The Bible says and tells us that their sin was not in the matter of keeping the portion of the sale, but their sin was in disobeying the Holy Spirit. They were projecting a lie. They were causing it to look like, oh, we are being led by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Look at what we're giving. Look at our sincerity. Look at how genuinely we're serving God. And Paul says, how is it that you can lie to the Holy Spirit? Boom, <laughs> they fall over dead. Lying to the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 10, the word of God says, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. We are to be sincere in our Christian life. We are to be a, a, a striving for those things which are excellent. We are to not be quenching the Holy Spirit uh, through the lying of the way in which we live our life. You realize that it is possible to live the Christian life and, and make it appear to be that you are living a spirit-filled life. Make it appear that you are giving, not just financially, but giving physically through the power of God. It's possible even to knock on doors and share the gospel and not be doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's possible for a preacher to get up behind a pulpit and not be doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's possible for a church member to sit within a congregation and listen to the preaching and sing the hymns and not do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we're keeping the fire going, we're not lying about it. Amen? We're not lying of, of what God is doing. We're sincere. We're genuine. We're keeping the fire going. We're stirring up the gifts. We're keeping it burning. We're keeping ourselves alive. Uh, one of the desires of my heart within the church services, whether it be in our choir or, or in our piano playing or in our organ or, or in the congregational singing, is that the music would be alive, that the music would carry the energy. It's not that some songs don't carry energy. It's that we're helping us. Uh, it's, it's causing us to keep our minds focused and drawn to God. Now, at the end of the day, it's our choice. At the end of the day, it's our choice and whether or not we will decide to let the Holy Spirit have that complete reign, to have that leading within our life. By the way, the individual who's truly being spirit-led, who's abiding in Christ, the individual who believes that he really is living or she is living a spirit-filled life is the very individual that's allowed their own pride to come in between them and the power of the Holy Spirit. See, how do I know that I'm living the Holy Spirit life? You're simply being genuine before God. Nothing you do with is out, is out of concern of what, well, what is the pastor going to think? Or what are the deacons going to think? Or what are my friends going to think? What is my family going to think? Uh, what about the way that I read my life or, or that I live my life, that I read my Bible, that I pray to God, that I do the things that I do? Uh, we're not worrying about what others think. We're simply concerned about our relationship with God. Amen? The Bible tells us, don't lie to the Holy Spirit. It quenches the fire within. It pours fire, uh, it pours water upon that fire. It smothers it out. It keeps us from doing what we can be for God. And may we be reminded in reading the story of Ananias and Sapphira, God takes our service to him seriously. Amen? 
God takes our service to him seriously. You act like, you, you pretend, you hypocritically uh, uh, lay your life out as though you are serving God when you're not. Taking a, a knee at the altar when there's not actually a decision being made. Praying uh, before a congregation when you're not truly praying through the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. Singing the congregational hymns with a smile on your face when you're not really thinking about the words and what you're singing. Amen? How many times have we done that? Lying in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us it quenches. It quenches the Spirit within our life. It puts the fire out. Hey, if we want the Holy Spirit of God to work at Community Bible Church, we've got to keep the fire going in our own lives. Amen? We've got to keep the fire going and stirred within our lives. And so don't lie to the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing. Number two, grieving the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit. We're talking about sins committed against the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between lying and grieving. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll look together in verse number 29. Ephesians chapter 4, and looking in verse number 29. Grieving the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. You haven't marked that phrase, I would mark it. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Grieving the Holy Spirit. You see, how do I grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, look at verse 31 by those very things which are listed here. When we let the root of bitterness begin, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, we just talk together in malice. We talked together the past couple Wednesdays ago. We're talking about the subject of forgiveness and the individual who's got a right relationship with God and a right relationship with man does not have these sins prevalent within their life. It grieves the Holy Spirit. A husband and wife will come to find as they, as they uh, live with one another, we know, uh, as uh, I know as a husband, you know as a husband or a wife, that the person you can most grieve is your spouse himself. And how do you know when you grieve your spouse? Well, maybe they stop talking to you. <laughs> maybe they, maybe they, they, it's difficult for them to talk to you. Maybe the, the conversations are getting heated. Uh, uh, whatever it may be, there's a grieving. There's, there's a hurt. There's a pain. Uh, uh, what, what happens when we grieve the Holy Spirit? It's really crowding him. It's crowding the Holy Spirit from his desiring place in your life. Grieving him. How will I know if I, how, do you, how will I know, how will you know if you grieve the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you, you'll know. There will be a sense of coldness. There will be a sense of distance between you and God walking in your life. I can't describe it. It is supernatural. But at the end of the day, uh, as you w- uh, would very likely know in your own Christian life, you grieve the Holy Spirit by knowing that when you try to do the very things of God and you grieve Him, there's a coldness. There's a, there's a lack of a, ability to serve with genuine uh, desire, with that burning fire within you. Uh, yet there, there's, a, there's now um, a, a wall, uh, you may say, in between you and the Lord, and the Lord's working within your life. Uh, what, what we do when we grieve the Holy Spirit is we allow our conscience to become seared. We allow our conscience to become insensitive. Uh, I've said this before, we don't listen to our conscience as Christians. It's the Holy Spirit who works through our thoughts, who works through our conscience. He places those thoughts within us. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we stop even realizing 
we stop even realizing that uh, we're in the wrong anymore. It becomes so, the wrong becomes so right to us. The wrong becomes so normal to us. The Bible talks about that seared conscience as with a hot iron. It scars us. It, it stops us from seeing uh, that we're even doing right. It grieves the Holy Spirit. So when you know that you've done something wrong and grieve the Holy Spirit, it's our responsibility as Christians to make it right and make it right immediately in order to keep the fire going. When God is working through your life, you're going to know. And one of the greatest ways to know is through the blessings which he brings in the end. And sometimes living the, the Holy Spirit-filled life uh, and, and some of the things which happen within that life are not always easy to go through. Uh, but it's a confirmation of knowing that God is in control. Amen? It's a confirmation of knowing that God is behind it all. And so sins committed against the Holy Spirit, number one, lying to the Holy Spirit. Number two, grieving the Holy Spirit. Number three, resisting the Holy Spirit, resisting the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, if you want to look there with me, Acts chapter 7, we'll look at verse number 51. Here in Acts chapter 7, we see uh, the stoning of Stephen. And uh, one, one of uh, the passages that even in my teenage years would often be given lots of jokes about, uh, stoning Stephen. And uh, uh, Acts chapter 7, verse number 51, the Bible says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hard and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. The resisting of the Holy Spirit, catch this, is a resisting of conviction. The resisting of the Holy Spirit is the resisting of conviction. It's when God speaks to you, and you know that he's speaking to you, and you know that he's doing a work in your life and desires for you to, to, to do something with your life, but rather than doing it, you're pushing back at it, resisting. It's the individual who, when they sit in the pew, they're gripping the pew under conviction, but choosing not to respond. There's a resisting of the flesh and the Holy Spirit within our life. It's the individual who knows when God has spoken to them, and, it, and, and, and we talked about even this morning, those open doors of opportunity. God has given those doors. He convicts them and, and shows them that there's a door. Instead, they push back. They resist. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Uh, uh, we, we, we see that ye stiff-necked, uncircumcised, and hardened ears. He's, he's describing that there was, uh, there was no, uh, there, there was no uh, uh, desire within their heart to receive the conviction or the working of God within their life. Yet it was the very opposite. That's why we see the response and their actions was the stoning of the man of God. Uh, the Bible tells us that as Christians, our hearts and our ears are to be circumcised. The flesh is to be removed from our life. We're to be uncircumcised in heart and ears. That is to say there's nothing of self. We're clean of self. We're, we're circumcising for the point of purity and cleanliness in order to place ourselves by our ears and our heart in the receiving of the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Bible says when you resist the Holy Spirit, you're resisting his conviction. You're resisting his conviction. Uh, uh, what, what causes the individual to, um, to respond, and I've seen this happen uh, even in an invitation, responding in anger, sometimes walking out of an auditorium or, 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 or sometimes uh, refusing then to speak to the preacher, it's conviction. God's spoken to them about something and they're refusing to respond. We're not talking about an issue where the pastors made a mistake and pastors do make mistakes. We're talking about when God's spoken to them and they know what the word of God says. They've heard 
what the Word of God says. By their ears, they've heard. By their heart, they know, but they're resisting. Stephen says in this passage, ye uncircumcised in heart and ears. So as Christians, we should be following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, and how do we know if we're following his leading? He'll give us that peace in our heart of knowing we're obeying him. He'll give us those blessings of assurance of knowing that we're, we're following his direction and um, uh, choosing not to resist against him. Let me get to the fourth, fourth thing that we see here. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 12. Remember, our subject is quenching not the Spirit. Quenching not the Spirit. As we choose not to quench the Holy Spirit, but yet keep the fire going, we're not going to be lying in the Holy Spirit. We're not going to be grieving the Holy Spirit. We're not going to be resisting the Holy Spirit. And number four, we're not going to be blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 31. The Word of God says, Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. That word blaspheme, if you're taking notes, it means to fully reject with absolute scorn. To absolutely deny. It's, it's an outright rejecting of God uh, in what we would really call the unpardonable sin. What's the greatest sin the Bible tells us? In the Bible, it's the sin of unbelief. Amen? It's that sin of unbelief. It's the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. It's the so open rejection. I refuse to live in obedience to God. I refuse to do anything for God. I want nothing to do with Him in my life. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, you quench the Holy Spirit when you blaspheme Him. Blasphemy. It's a deliberate choice within our own heart, through our mouth, knowing and having heard within our ears, it's a deliberate choice to simply say no. God, you told me what to do. God, you've opened those doors of opportunity in my life. God, you've made it clear to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but I'm not going to do it. No. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. We quench the power of God within our life. We stop the fire from going within our life. Are you keeping the fire going? Are you keeping it stirred within your life? The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come. Listen to this. And whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. In other words, the Bible tells us that God gives every man the free will to come. The Bible tells us that God gives every man the free choice to come or the choice to reject. God does not force the power of his Holy Spirit upon our lives. Uh, when you receive Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, but you can choose to quench his working. You can choose to grieve him, to fly through him, to resist him, to blaspheme him. Are you choosing to reject his power or to receive his power? God's given us uh, the, the working of His Holy Spirit to be able to accomplish uh, the, His work. Uh, you say, how do I knock on doors? I'm not used to speaking to people. How do I share the gospel with them? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody says, how do I work in children's church? I'm not used to working with kids. I stumble on my words or I stutter with them or, or I'm not good at thinking on my feet. How do I do it? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody says, how do I pray? I'm not used to praying. I'm not comfortable praying in front of people. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says keep the fire going. Don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Don't lie. Don't grieve. Don't, don't resist. Let him work. Let him have full and complete reign. What does it mean to be spirit-filled? Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 tells us, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. In Romans chapter 12, in verse number 1 and 2, we know the verses, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Spirit-filled life is a life beyond our own capacity and power. The Spirit-filled life is nothing of self. In other words, it starts, as I just said a moment ago, number one, it starts as a matter of choice. What, is, what does it mean to be the Spirit-filled? It starts with your choice to do so. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. The Bible describes to us yet, once again, this choice which we are given. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 12. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. The Word of God says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members, that is, your body, your hands, your feet, your eyes, your nose, your ears, every part of you. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of what? Unrighteousness unto what? Sin. But yield yourselves unto who? God. It's okay to respond to me. As those that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of what? Righteousness unto God. We're to yield ourselves, our bodies, as instruments. You put it this way, as gloves, as gloves over God's hands. When you're, when you're being spirit-filled, when you're being spirit-led, you're simply, you're simply letting God lead as he opens the doors. You're simply letting God work, trusting him and his ability to empower you, to give you the words to say, to help you to know how to approach that matter, to help you to know what to do, to help you to, to accomplish if it's a test, if it's a, something on your job which you're not used to, if it's, uh, if it's a conversation which you need to have with someone concerning forgiveness. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us that power. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, the Bible tells us, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is, is, is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, being, being drunk, uh, not with wine, but filled with the Holy Spirit, we're understanding the uh, comparison, the illustration that's given. We're not intoxicated. Intoxication is the removing of man's mind beyond where God ever intended for it to be. We're not, we're not intoxicated or drawn away uh, by alcohol, but yet we're intoxicated or drawn away by the Holy Spirit. You see, when we're spirit-led, it's nothing of our flesh. It's not working at all by ourselves. It's working through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're under his influence. As somebody would say, they're under the influence of alcohol. So we're to be under the influence of God. We're to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Bible tells us that this is a choice. It's a choice. It's an act of our will to empty ourselves of what? 
of sins within our life, then we're yielding ourselves completely unto God as instruments, not of unrighteousness, but of righteousness to Him. That God would use us, as we mentioned earlier this morning, as an orchestra in every instrument. It's all together in sync with one another to create a beautiful piece of music. So the Bible tells us that we are to be instruments of righteousness unto God. God's working through us as gloves. God's working through us, uh, nothing of ourselves. So it's a choice of, uh, of, of our own will. Number two, it's a decision of faith. It's a decision of faith. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The word of God tells us, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in what? Me. In the life which I now live. Listen to this. I live... Uh, not in the flesh, but I live by the faith of the Son of God. He says, Christ liveth with me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. You see, living the Spirit-filled life, it's believing that God will grant you the ability. The problem with the individual who's not able to live the Spirit-filled life and then in return it instead quenches, smothers out the Holy Spirit within their life is the individual who lacks faith. They're lacking faith. You see, the spirit-filled life, it is a decision of faith. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I'm trusting God to help me. I don't know how the conversation is going to go. I don't know what words are going to be said, but I'm trusting God to give me the words to say. I'm trusting God to work in and through me. And somebody says, oh, well, I felt it went actually absolutely terrible. Well, it doesn't matter what you think. If God was working through you, that's all that matters at the end of the day. Amen? The Holy Spirit. A decision of faith. Luke chapter 11, verse 13, the word of God tells us, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? All we've got to do is just ask God for help. Lord, help me to accomplish what you would have for me to do. Lord, help me to do uh, and to step into these doors of opportunity that you placed into my life. Lord, I'm trusting you by faith. I don't know the end result, but you do. Lord, I don't know how you're going to work, but you do. Uh, how many times uh, going out, uh, I know in my own life, going out on a, on, a, on a program of soul winning and visitation and going not spirit-led, not trusting God by faith that he's going to work in and through me to do something that I wouldn't intend uh, at all. The Bible tells us that the spirit-filled life is simply trusting God by faith to accomplish his perfect will through our lives. It's a choice, it, and it's a decision. Uh, it's a choice of our own will. It's a decision of, of faith. Number three, it's a repeated process. It's a repeated process. Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. We read this verse a moment ago, but I want us to catch the end of the verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. In Psalm 51, verse 10, as you're turning there, just as you listen, the Word of God tells us, Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Until the day in which Christ returns, the Holy Spirit lives within our lives. And so the Bible tells us, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't lie. Don't blaspheme. Don't resist. The Bible tells us, until the day in which Christ returns, 
We know perfectly the day of the Lord is at the day of the Lord is at hand. Until the day in which Christ returns, let the Holy Spirit have full and complete reign in your life. Quench not the Spirit. It's a repeat, repeated process. Lord, here's my hands. Lord, here's my feet. Lord, here's my life. Lord, here's my voice. Here's my words. Here's my eyes. Here's my ears. Here's my nose and everything I do for my, through my five senses and every place I go through with my feet. May you be honored and glorified. May your Holy Spirit have full and complete reign in my life. I wonder if it's very possible even this evening that the Holy Spirit would be convicting you. That God would be speaking to you about this very matter of not yielding to him as you should be. Maybe it's an area of blaspheming or lying. Maybe it's an area of grieving. Is God convicting you? Are you resisting him? The Bible tells us as Christians it's simply a choice of faith. And then we are asking the Lord every day as a repeated process, Lord, help me. Lord, give me your power. Give me your ability. It's nothing I can do. It's only by you. There's one thing I've learned as a pastor. I remember they told us this quite often also in in, in, uh, in, in college, you should be praying twice as much as you're studying and preparing for your sermons. Why are we praying? We pray in order to prepare ourselves. You see, I can't, as a preacher, I can't preach what God uh, would have for me to preach and how God would have for me to preach if, if I'm grieving the Holy Spirit, if I'm blaspheming, if I'm resisting, if I've got sin in my life. The Bible tells uh, me as a man of God, as a pastor, that I'm to keep my heart clean. And so the same, not just for a pastor, the same goes for every Christian, that we would keep our heart clean, that we would keep our heart right, that we would keep ourselves genuine before him, not quenching the spirit, but keeping the fire going. As we said a moment ago, we're stirring up the gift. We're stirring it up. We're, we're, we're enlivening it once again. We're reviving the working of the Holy Spirit within our life. Boy, the, the Holy Spirit-led church is the church which God was so blessed beyond what we could ever imagine. You say, well, it's a supernatural work. It is a supernatural work. The work of the Holy Spirit is beyond anything we can do of ourselves. It's beyond our own capacity. It's the working of God within our life. Amen? Quench not the Spirit. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to apply these things to our lives. May we see that as Christians, we can so easily grieve you. We can lie in your working through us. Uh, we can be dishonest in our life, which we're living for you. Oh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be honest, sincere, genuine Christians. That we would strive to keep the fire going. That we would not quench, that, that we would not put out. But Lord, that we would uh, live uh, passionately and uh, uh, zealously for you. Bless this, these next few moments now, we pray. In Jesus' name, God's spoken to your heart. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody's looking around. If God has spoken to you, could I just pray for you this evening? Say, Pastor Miller, God's spoken to my heart about the working of his Holy Spirit in my life. Just pray for me. God's spoken to me in that way. Anyone like me here tonight by raise of hand? Amen. Amen. Pray for me also. Amen. May the Lord help us. Pray for me also, Pastor Miller. I didn't raise my hand a moment ago. Pray for me. God's spoken to my heart. Amen. Lord, be it these ones, you've spoken to them directly. May we be led by you. May, may we be empowered by you uh, through uh, not our flesh, but through the yielding of our flesh. 
Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name.